All right, welcome to you. Welcome to all of our campuses. We're glad you're here. You at West and uh, Zoe's and uh, our traditions venue. Welcome to all of you. We're glad that everyone is here. Um, last week, um, some friends of ours took our son Joshua to see Spider-Man. Um, Josh loves that sort of thing. In fact, in his room on the wall, we have a sign that says, always be yourself unless you can be Batman then always be Batman. So, um, and that's kind of Josh, really. Uh, many of you know Josh is our special needs um, son. He's 13 years old, but cognitively is, is more like five years old. Um, but anyway, he loves Batman and Spider-Man, any, any superhero, really. So he went to see Spider-Man with his family, and later on the dad um, told me that the highlight of the dad's experience, the highlight of the experience for this dad was, was the, at, the, at the end of the movie, because right at the end, Joshua stood up in the theater and did, you know, the, the Spider-Man pose, right? <laughs> for like two minutes, he just held it, held it there. I mean, then that was just totally, if you know Josh, that was totally natural response. In that moment, he wanted to be Spider-Man, and he was willing to just kind of go for it, right? Enter into that with all that he had. Now, now the truth is, every guy in the theater wants to be, wanted to be Spider-Man, right? But we're too cool to actually admit it. But for Josh, he really didn't care what people thought. He doesn't have a self-conscious bone in his body. He was fully abandoned to what he had just seen. The movie had awakened in his heart a desire, and he was willing to respond to that. You know, if we're honest, there is, there is a part of all of us that longs to be transformed. We want to be more like our superhero Jesus, right? We want to love better. We want to be more patient. We want our lives to truly impact people. We want to be changed. But we don't necessarily know how to get there. Now, we could talk about all sorts of things that can help us become more like Christ. I mean, things like Bible study and community and spiritual disciplines, all of which are, are important and valid. But in the midst of that, there, there, is, there is a critical aspect of transformation that is often forgotten. In fact, look with me at a fascinating passage found in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. We read this. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, this is such a fascinating passage. Paul is talking about how we are changed into the likeness of Jesus. How do we become like him? And notice what he says. As we contemplate the Lord's glory, we are being transformed into his image. So what is he talking about? Well, the word contemplate is not simply talking about thinking. It's not just this cognitive exercise. No, the word literally means to behold, to gaze upon. See, what he's saying, what he's talking about is worship. He's talking about worship, gazing upon the Lord's glory, seeing the fullness of who God is and responding to that. Paul is saying something absolutely amazing, that we become like Jesus as we worship him, as we gaze upon him, as we behold his glory. Genuine worship changes us in a dramatic way. It changes us to be like our superhero Jesus, 
Worship is that significant. It is that important. It is that life-changing. So because of the significance of this, we're going to spend the month of June, we're going to spend about five weeks here talking about this incredibly important topic, learning together how we can grow in our experience of, of transformative worship. Now, I realize that the term worship needs to be defined because it's, it can be used in a variety of ways and mean a lot of different things. And so let me offer a, sim- a simple definition of worship. Um, we're going to unpack this in the weeks to come, but here's a, a definition to kind of get us started. Worship is giving love to God. Worship is giving love to God. It is an intentional activity we engage in, in which we give love to God in a variety of ways. Now, in this definition, we already see something critically important to understand about worship. Worship is a highly relational activity between us and God. It is a highly relational activity between us and God. It is an intentional expression of our love to God, and that's a big deal. Why do I say it's a big deal? Well, remember Jesus once said that the most important commandment of all was to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the most important commandment of all, love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's really a command to worship, isn't it? That's a command to worship. That's how important this is. Jesus says it is more important than anything else which raises a very important question. How are we doing in the area of worship? Would you describe your experience of worship as vibrant, life-giving, transformative? I'm guessing that for many of us, our answer would be no. Our worship experience is not anywhere close to life-changing. You know, for some of us, our worship has become complacent, for others, it feels boring. For some who are maybe newer to the, the, the faith, worship is perhaps this gigantic unknown. We know it's important, but we don't really know how we're supposed to do it, how we're supposed to engage in this. Whatever the reason, my sense is that we are not experiencing all that worship can be in our lives. What I believe we need is, is an awakening to worship. What we need our hearts stirred with a longing for transformation so that just like Joshua in Spider-Man, we're willing to throw off our self-consciousness. We're willing to throw off our concern about what other people think of us and we're willing to go for it. We're willing to abandon ourselves to God in worship. That's what we need. Not techniques or how-tos. What we need is our hearts awakened to this glorious activity. So how do we get there? How do we experience this kind of awakening? How can we experience a reawakened desire to love and to worship God? Well, in order to kind of answer that question, I want us to look today at a couple of passages of Scripture where we see evidence of this awakening happening in people's lives so that we can learn from them. So the first passage we're going to look at is in Revelation chapter 2. 
You can turn there if you want, your iPad or your tablet or whatever you got, your Bible, um, whatever you got, you can turn there if you want. Revelation chapter 2. This this passage, it, it records a direct message from Jesus to a particular church. I mean, wouldn't that be kind of wild to get a Dear Christ Community, sign Jesus, kind of a letter. That's what's happening here. It's to a church in Ephesus. Ephesus was a thriving city, lots of commerce, and lots of spiritual darkness. And so Jesus writes this letter specifically to the church in Ephesus. And look at what he says. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them to be false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. I mean, it sounds like a glowing resume. This was a church that worked hard for God. They did good things for him. They persevered in difficulty. This was a church that had their, their theology right. Okay? They, this was a church that was doctrinally solid and not afraid to live according to their convictions, not afraid to discern good and evil. This was a church that had experienced persecution for following Jesus, and they had not grown weary in that. Again, this is an impressive, an impressive resume. But look with me at verse 4. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. In the midst of all the busyness of fruitful ministry, in the midst of all their, their doctrinal convictions and all their diligence, they had lost the most important thing, a love for Jesus. So how does Jesus respond? What does he urge them to do? Look at verse five. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. See, Jesus urges them to see what's happening. That's the consider part. Consider how far you've fallen. In other words, see reality. See what's happening and then Repent, to repent of their busyness that has squeezed him out of the picture. To repent of of being focused, so focused on doing good that they've lost their love for him. You see, this is where change must begin. It begins by seeing reality, right? That's what enables us to change, by seeing what's really happening. If we don't see that anything's wrong, we, we won't be motivated to change. And so to repent, really, is to see the truth about ourselves. If we, if we don't see the truth, again, we won't be motivated to change. And some of us here, some of us need exactly what Jesus gave to the church at Ephesus. Some of us need a gentle rebuke. We need to hear Jesus saying to us, you've become too busy too preoccupied, too focused on doctrinal purity or whatever, you have you become so focused on these things, you have lost that vibrant love for me that you once had. This happens so easily that we don't even notice it, really, because we're busy doing stuff. I, I know in my own life how how easy it is for me to get so caught up in the busyness of ministry or, or family or, or whatever that I lose 
my love for Jesus. I, I even have consistent devotional times with God on a regular basis, but how often does that time include just spending time delighting in Jesus and worshiping him and loving him? I mean, I can go for weeks of devotional times. I can go for months without doing that, without really loving him in this relational way. But oh yeah, yeah, I'm having my quiet time. Yeah, but am I loving Jesus? We can so easily lose our first love. So let me just ask, does that describe you? Are you willing to take an honest look at your life in light of Jesus' words here? Have you lost your first love? Have you let other things squeeze out that love for Jesus, even good things? If so, Jesus says, repent, repent. Just acknowledge that loving and worshiping him have become very low on the priority list. To, to acknowledge that busyness and apathy or whatever have kept us from a vibrant love for him. So that's where an awakening to worship must begin. Consider how far you've fallen. See reality and repent. Okay, once there is an honest repentance in our hearts, a second response naturally follows, and that is to refocus. To refocus. It involves refocusing our heart on the beauty and the wonder of Jesus. There's a great picture of this in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. Let me, let me read this short, short section here. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha. The Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. <laughs> Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. See, this is all about focus, right? It's all about the focus of our heart. Martha is focused on the meal preparations, and she is resenting the fact that Mary is not helping do any of the work. Because Mary is just focused on, on Jesus, sitting at his feet, listening to what he said. I mean, that looks like laziness to Martha. But notice who Jesus rebukes. He rebukes Martha. She is worried and upset about many things and missing the most important thing of all, Jesus, enjoying Jesus. Now, I don't want to come down too hard on Martha. You know, I, mean, I mean, someone had to cook the meal, right? <laughs> um, we, we, uh, we, we lean on Martha's a lot, right? Someone had to cook the meal um, that they, they would all enjoy. But at the same time, Jesus here, he does delineate the, the, between the priority of serving him versus worshiping him. He delineates the priority of serving him 
versus worshiping him. He declares that Mary, who sat at his feet and listened and was focused on him, Mary had chosen to focus on what was better, what was most needful. This is all about heart focus. Mary's heart was focused on Jesus. Her worship involved a longing for Jesus that superseded any other activity. She just wanted to be with him and learn from him. There, were, there was a valuing of Jesus that made Mary want to reorder her, her time and her life so that it revolved around learning from and delighting in Jesus. And I believe the Spirit of God wants to do the same thing in us. He wants us to refocus our hearts on Jesus, to increase our appreciation for Him so that our hearts are reawakened with a delight in him, with a longing for him, with a desire to worship him. What we need to realize about worship, this is very important, what we need to realize, we're talking about worship a lot, what we need to realize about worship is that we all worship something. We all worship something. We were created to worship. We were created to give our hearts to God in worship. We were, create, we were built for this. We were created for this. But in Genesis 3, once Genesis 3 happened, right? Adam and Eve sinned against God. Once that happened, that longing for worship that we were created for, that longing for worship got redirected. See, it didn't get removed. It got redirected. Rather than, which means, rather than instinctively placing our affection and our worship upon God, which is what Adam and Eve were doing in Genesis 1 and 2, rather than instinctively doing that, we now instinctively set our affection on other things, on money or, or power or our appearance or success or, or whatever. So in Romans 1, then, Paul gives this vivid description of the progression of sin this progression of sin in humanity. And he says this in verse 25, they exchanged, notice this, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. See, that's us. That's us. We, we all worship something. No one can say, oh, I don't worship. No, no, every, this is how we were built. Everyone worships something. Everyone. The question is not, will we worship? No, the question is, what are we worshiping? What are we worshiping? What have we set our affection on? What have we set our hearts upon? Now, I know this may seem kind of hard to answer. Question is hard to answer. So let me, let me try to break this down really practically speaking. Here are a few questions, a few ways to answer this. For one, here's a question. What do, you, what do we daydream about? When you're at a stoplight or you're driving in your car and your mind is not in any one place or whatever, you know, you're, just, you're just not thinking about anything in particular, what, where does your mind go? What do you daydream about? when your mind is just kind of wandering. See, what we daydream about often reveals the ultimate loves of our heart. Here's another, another way to answer this question about worship. What do you most delight in? What do you most delight in? In other words, what brings you the most joy? 
What do you get most fired up about? What, what, you know, what, what is it you're, you, that, that you're most passionate about? Is it, is it your car looking shiny and clean? Man, when that car is detailed and clean, oh man, then I feel great. Is it your sports team winning? Is it your bank account being full? Or your shopping, you know, to find that perfect outfit that's going to turn heads? Or is it your kid's GPA? Well, what is it that, it, that it, it is the focus of her heart? What brings you the most joy, the most passion, the most interest and focus? Well, what most captures our heart, our affections? Really important question. In fact, this is why it's important. Let me, let me state it this way. Until we see Jesus as being more valuable than anything else in the world, we will struggle to experience genuine worship. Let me say that again. Until we see Jesus as being more valuable than anything else in all the world, we will struggle to experience genuine worship. We will be bored in worship services. We will wonder why we keep singing these songs over and over again. Our minds will be going all sorts of different places. We, we will find any and every excuse to, to skip going to church. Why? Because all sorts of other things are competing for and winning that prized position of being our first love, our heart focus. Because when Jesus is our heart focus, we can't wait to worship him. With other believers, by ourselves, we can't wait. That's what brings us the most passion. Again, what's the most important commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. In that equation, there is not room for anything else to be our first love. We all worship something. We all do. And what God desires and deserves is that he be the object of our worship, the object of our affection. Now, I know some, some of us, we may hear this, and you're thinking, it sounds like God is this narcissistic megalomaniac, right? Everything is about him, and he, wants, he, he must be really insecure because he, just, he wants all these people to focus on him, all these people to praise him. He's just kind of focused on feeding his own ego. But, but that is to miss the power of what worship does in our lives. I mean, because of who God is in terms of his perfection and, and holiness and joy and love, because of that, because of who he is, when we worship him, we experience those things. See, when we worship the God of joy, guess what? We experience true joy. When we worship the God of love, we experience his incredible love. When we worship the God who is holy, we desire to be holy. The most loving thing God can do for us is to urge us to worship him. That's the most loving thing he can do for us is to actually urge us to worship him. This isn't about him needing worship as if he has self-esteem issues. It's not. This is about us needing to worship. Because in worship, again, we are transformed into his likeness. 
In worship, we taste of the life that we have always longed for. It happens in worship. Which, which leads to a third aspect of how the Spirit awakens our heart to worship, and that is through response. Response. One of the best places to learn about worship is in the Psalms, and over the next few weeks, we're going to spend some time in, in some of the Psalms. One, one of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 27. It begins with David talking about how we need not fear because the Lord is the stronghold of our lives. It's this amazing declaration in our fears. It's, it's awesome. And then he opens up this incredible window into his heart. Check this out. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. This one thing. See, here, here is a guy who gets worship. This is a guy whose love for God is vibrant and focused and is a top priority. One thing I seek, just to be with God and to gaze upon his beauty. It is such a powerful picture of worship. And, and men, I want you to notice something here. Notice who is writing this. This is David, a total stud, right? A man's man, a warrior, a hunter. See, a lot of guys think that worship is this feminine activity, right? This touchy-feely experience that's, that, that's more geared toward women, but that is, that is to misunderstand, completely to misunderstand the nature of worship. David was a worshiper. He was a man after God's heart. Wor worshiping God can be an incredibly masculine thing because it is to engage with your whole being in the wonder and the glory of God. And what else is worth that? We do this all the time at football games and other sporting events. We do. We yell. We, we cheer. We celebrate. Why? Because we are passionate about what's happening on the field. Our whole being is engaged in that. So don't tell me that it is not manly to worship. Millions of men worship every Sunday afternoon in the fall while watching football. Millions of men worship in a very obvious, energetic passionate way. See, the real question is, why does that activity stir such passion in our hearts, and yet worshiping God bores us? Why is that? See, that's, that's a heart issue, because it's, it's answering, or it's, or it's related to this question, what do we truly love? What do we truly love? One of the most masculine things we can do is to choose to love Jesus, to choose to make him our number one priority and to be a man who is pursuing God's heart with all of our energy. Okay, so we have this incredible window into David's heart. This one thing he says, is, there's this passion for God. Obviously, David's heart has been awakened to worship, but how? 
How does that happen? How did that happen? I want you to look at what David writes just a few verses later because it gives us a really, really important answer to this question. Because it's not just about, okay, I'm going to try harder and all that stuff. It's not about that. Look at verse 8. Here's the answer. How this gets reawakened. David's writing, my heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. See, notice what David is saying. His seeking of the Lord, his passionate worship of God began with a stirring in his heart. My heart says, seek his face. David doesn't say, so-and-so, the priest told me to worship God more passionately. You know, that's why I'm doing this, because so-and-so told me to, or this book told me to. No, no, no. There was a a longing, there was a desire that, 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 that was stirred from within. This is what the Spirit of God is constantly doing in our hearts. He is. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, the Holy Spirit is constantly drawing us to Jesus. Constantly stirring our hearts in a, a desire for him. Paul describes this in Romans chapter 8, verse 15. He says, the Spirit you received, you already received him if you've trusted Jesus, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, who? The Spirit. By the Spirit we cry, Abba. Father. It, it, is, it is the spirit within us that moves us to cry, Daddy, Abba, I love you. It's the spirit that moves us that, that, to, to worship him and press into him and delight in him and enjoy him. The spirit is doing this in us. He is. Here's the question. Are we responding to that? Are we responsive to that? Are we responding to those desires within? Because the reality is the Spirit, no matter who you are, if you have placed your trust in Jesus, the Spirit is drawing you into worship, into a deeper experience of love for Jesus. Often, however, that voice, his voice gets drowned out by all sorts of other things. Maybe it's by our misguided perspective on manhood. Or maybe it's by our own fears or what other people will think of us, or by our own busyness, or or our love for other things, or whatever. But the desire is there. It is there. If you've placed your trust in Jesus, his spirit lives within you and is stirring in you a deeper desire for Jesus. The question is, are we willing to respond to that? Are you willing to follow that desire for Jesus? letting it lead you into a deeper experience of worship. That's what God is inviting us to experience, not only as individuals, but also as a church. I believe he wants to reawaken our hearts to worship him. You know, when I first came to this church 24 years ago, this July, I was in the midst of a personal uh, worship awakening. God had been stirring in my heart a desire, not for more information. I had been to seminary, you know, I, was, I had enough information. Not, uh, stirring in my heart a desire, not for more information, but just a desire for him, to experience him. And, and, and worship, in that season, worship became a way for my heart to respond to that stirring. So when I came to this church, that first Sunday here, 1990, grabbed out, I, mean, I grabbed my guitar, pulled out my guitar, and just began to lead us 
in these songs of worship that had been ministering to me. And, and that really, that, that began a journey for us as a church. See, my, my longing back then and now was for us to be a church that was, that was fully alive in worship, where our love for Jesus is expressed in, in, in authentic and passionate worship. And so what's happened is, over the years, at various times, God has needed to reawaken that focus. Same thing happens in marriage or whatever, right? You have seasons where, you know, that kind of passion gets cooled. It's like that in any relationship. Over the years, at various times, God has needed to reawaken that focus, that desire, when we as a church had lost sight of it. And I kind of I feel like we're at another one of those seasons. I feel like we have been living too much like Martha and not enough like Mary. And I believe God wants to reawaken that worshiping heart in us as a congregation. Are we willing to repent of our apathy? Are we willing to refocus on Jesus? Are we willing to respond to the Spirit drawing us into worship? Now, let me just ask you to do something very practical here. I know summers are filled with vacations and all that, but I would just ask, given the importance of this subject for us individually as well as corporately, I feel like this is very, very important. Would you make it a priority to be here in the month of June? If you're in town, can you make this a priority? Because I believe God wants to use this month in a significant way to stir our hearts in our hearts, a greater love for him. And what could be more important than that? Again, I keep thinking about Joshua, right? Standing there in the movie theater. The, the, the wonder of who Spider-Man was had awakened in Joshua a longing, a desire to be like him. And Joshua was willing to stand up and lean into that, not caring what anyone else thought. He was so enamored by that vision of Spider-Man that nothing else really mattered in that moment. And that was, that was for a fantasy. But what we're talking about is real. A real superhero. The Lord of the universe who invites us to love him and to step into the fullness of who he is. Are we willing to do that? To be so enamored with his presence and his glory and his awesomeness that we enter into the, into the worship that he alone deserves. Giving him love from our hearts. Giving him love from our hearts. Are we willing to say yes to that invitation? Well, I want to invite our, our campus pastors, our various campuses, to come forward um, at your campus right now as we transition to a time of prayer and then worship. So let's pray together. So I want to encourage us just in a few moments of quiet here. We're not in any hurry. What is the Holy Spirit doing in you? What is he saying? Maybe there's just a need for repentance. It's like, wow, I have lost my first love. I, I've just been so busy. 
I can't even think of the last time I really, with my heart, just loved on Jesus. So maybe repentance is in order. Just in the quiet of your heart. Maybe it's a refocusing. Saying, man, I've been too busy and I just want to refocus. I want to be merry. I want to just refocus on you, Lord. Or maybe there's a stirring. And all three of these things could be happening right now, but maybe there is a stirring. I, I sense and I'm praying for a stirring here of the Holy Spirit. Just stirring in you a desire for more, a desire for Jesus. So Holy Spirit, would you stir that in our hearts? That desire, Lord, we admit it, it just gets crowded out, it gets piled on by the busyness of life and our passion for other things and, and maybe by misconceptions of manhood or whatever it happens to be, this desire for worship gets drowned out by other things, but we're praying for awakening. Turn up that desire, Holy Spirit, in all of us. I pray for the men in this room. For those of us here who believe that worship is this feminine thing and, and yet the reality is we're passionate about all sorts of other things. We worship all sorts of other things passionately. Why not you, Lord? We, we pray you would stir in our hearts a longing for you, our superhero, the one that truly matters, the one who is worthy of our worship that you would stir in us this longing and that we would respond. I just pray our hearts would be open. As our hearts are saying, seek his face, we would say, yeah, your face will we seek. We want to be about loving you and worshiping you, God. So do what you want to do, Lord, to get us there. Do what you want to do in our hearts. Even now, just reawaken our hearts to worship. So what we want to do right now is, is just enter into a time to do just that. Just to love on Jesus. And we're, we're going to talk in more detail about some of these things, but we just want to give time to love on Jesus. And so you can, we're all going to stand. In fact, why don't we stand right now? Let's just stand as we get ready just for several minutes here of just worshiping him. The altar is open. Let me just say there's freedom here. So if you want to sit down at some point or you want to kneel at some point at your chair or you can come up and kneel up front here. If you want to raise a hand, if you want to sit, whatever you want to do that would enable you to focus on Jesus, not upon anything else, but just loving him. So we encourage you to do that. So set us free right now, Lord, just to love on you, to worship you, to give you the love you deserve. And I want to also mention we have an intercessor available tonight um, over to my right. If any time during the singing you'd like to receive prayer for something, 
She would love to pray with you. You can just slip out of your seat, head over here to this area, and she would love to pray for you. So, Lord, we, we want this time just to be about you. Holy Spirit, come and stir in increasing ways this longing, this desire, this responsiveness to who you are. Lord Jesus, who you are. Your presence 